Hey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, I Totally Relate. I'm Rissy. And I'm Shelves. And we hope you guys can totally relate. start by introducing Stephen how you know him like how did how did your path cross Stephen's path oh man okay when I did my yoga teacher training at the yoga underground um Stephen is a part of that program he uh meets with the yoga students uh and we get a whole day of Stephen (laughs) three or four hours (laughs) It just, it just feels like a whole day. <laughs> well, I guess like our whole teacher training day. You know, I met Steven and I was completely awed by him. <clears throat> Steven, for sure, Because transformed he's completely him. odd. <laughs> okay, Steven. <laughs> I hear you. I see you. <clears throat> oh my gosh, that was such a good play on words. Okay, continue. Um, that was good. So Steven has uh, this really beautiful program I remember the first day that we met with Stephen, um, he kind of had this presentation and he had these statistics and he was, what did he, what did you say? 20 intentional breaths a day will change your life. And that's the basis of it. The base, it blew my mind. Like, so Stephen is the one who introduced to me a daily uh, meditation practice and what that can do to transform your life. This is when I was introduced to the idea that trauma is stored in the body. Like mm-hmm. our memories are in us. And we'll let Stephen use his own words, but he talks about a paradigm shift or these rules in which we're living our day-to-day life, our, our life, and how to identify uh, some of these roadblocks that we come into. And in order to do that, we have to work backward in a way it's so simple and so complicated uh i that's when i was first acquainted with steven is through uh the yoga underground during my teacher trainings but i have had the privilege of working with him Mm one-on-one and we have worked through some uh major roadblock in my autonomic nervous system and the things that hold me back and some um, limiting beliefs that have ruled my life. And so Stephen is an angel and I am mm. so excited to invite him onto the podcast. Thank well, you thank for you. coming. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the pod, Stephen. <laughs> I'm oh my very God. happy to be here. I am so delighted to meet you. <laughs> Shelby speaks so highly of you. She's like, you're going to love Stephen. You got to meet Stephen. You're going to love Stephen. <laughs> I am delighted to meet Let me you know when life. you get odd. <laughs> okay, I I don't remember how many years ago it was, but I had just uh, started meditating and uh, studying meditation and practicing it. And I had developed a very rough course outline. And uh, I presented it to some friends one night in an evening. Uh, We would get together and talk about stuff. And uh, my friend introduced me to Brittany and said she might be interested. So I talked with Brittany a few times. And showed her what I had, and so when she wanted, she was planning to start her yoga teacher training classes, yeah. courses, and she invited me to present my material as part of her course. And nice. so I, in the very first yoga teacher training she did, I presented um, my material. I had about seven pages of stuff. <laughs> it was very, very simple, very, very, very rudimentary. It took about an hour and a half. 
And that was where, where it started. And then just over the years, and then I started uh, teaching the same course, developed it a bit further over at the uh, UVU. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, my guru, my mentor, who kind of got me on the path, she started teaching meditation. She, she created a course at UVU for their continuing education program. Mm. Okay. And then she got bored with that and asked me if I wanted to take it over, so I started teaching there, and they, they wanted me to t- make it a six-week course, mm-hmm. six-part program, and that, that coincided perfectly with Brittany's course because hers is a five- and a six-week course. So we worked it out that way. And so I've just been teaching it every year, every year since then. Uh, she does about four or five yoga teacher training classes, uh-huh. and I teach uh, a segment every year four or okay. five years and then four or five times a year and then a couple of times over at UVU and then when COVID came along UVU dropped out but uh, still teaching at the yoga underground okay so that was the genesis of it and that was the development of it and it's just been developing so every year I add several more pages to the course yes. and so now it's quite it's quite involved I was about to say it's a lot of pages work. is not what I did no no it's it's, it's a lot more now it's it's pretty thorough pretty comprehensive uh, look at some basic concepts and philosophies and practices of what is uh, probably ac- more accurately described as janana yoga. Okay. So there are a lot of forms of yoga. Most people, when they think of yoga, they think of the what is known as hatha yoga, mm-hmm. which is the asanas, mudras, and bandhas, the poses. Yeah. Okay? And so most people understand yoga only as a form of physical exercise. Yeah. But it's it's really a spiritual practice. Yeah that uh, has its roots in ancient India four or 5,000 years ago. Yeah. And uh, so there are many forms of yoga. Uh, Hatha is only one of hundreds of forms. It's the most popular in the world today. But then Janana Yoga is a form that emphasizes uh, study, self-inquiry, and meditation, those three things. And so that's essentially what my program is, it emphasizes study, self-inquiry, and meditation. Meditation is a foundational exercise because it opens your heart and your mind to new information, to uh, the larger realities of the universe and your own self. And then study, of course, is essential because we all need to expand the knowledge and the understanding we have of the world we live in and of ourselves. And then self-inquiry is essential because as we go through life, we pick up a lot of crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we have to engage in a, in a fairly rigorous and regular process of self-inquiry in order to offload that stuff. We call it emotional baggage. Yeah. That's the popular term for it. But it's just all the, all the thinking errors and the limiting beliefs and the traumatic experiences, memories that we have. Yeah. that we picked up uh, as we've interacted with our families and with our society and with our churches and with schools and the society at large, our friends. And there's a lot of nonsense in there that causes us a lot of pain, emotional pains and suffering and uh, causes us, interferes with our ability to be, do and have whatever we wanna do. Yeah. And so I've developed this process, I call it where the yoga meets the road. Okay. Because the idea here is that yoga is very kind of a, it's thought of as a sort of a mystical practice. Mm-hmm and a lot of metaphysical ideas, and most people talk in term, mystical terms about it. So it's kind of confusing to people and a little intimidating because, oh, you know, that's too spiritual and mystical mm-hmm. and stuff. 
uh, transcendent experiences. Wow, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. And so my philosophy is that I love the I love the mysticism. I love transcendent experiences. I love kind of getting out of my body, if you will, out of my head, mm -hmm. and into the larger realities. But I believe that if I can't take those transcendent experiences and translate them into my daily life in practical ways, yeah. then that's just another form of entertainment. Yeah. Mm. And my life is about is is about creating a pattern of continuous improvement in my life. Yeah. And not just entertaining myself. I mean, I can get on my phone if I want that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so so I've developed what I call a system of what I call compassionate self-inquiry. Because most people, when they're inquiring about themselves and asking themselves, they're asking from the uh, perspective, okay, what's wrong with me? Mm. Yeah. Why am I so screwed up? Yeah. Why did I do that? And that doesn't get you anywhere. And so there's a lot of judgment and self-criticism and self-doubt and yeah. self-loathing mm -hmm. that yeah. people engage in when they start looking at themselves. And so that's why a lot of people avoid looking yeah. at their lives and looking at themselves. Yeah. So I say this needs to be a compassionate process where you yeah. love yourself and, and you are able to be kind and patient mm -hmm. and accepting of who you are as you are. Yeah. Because when you can do that, then you can begin to look at, okay, well, how did I get here? And so the question yeah. is not uh, what's wrong with me. The question is what has happened to me? Yeah. And what have I decided, what are the beliefs I formed about myself? And what have I decided about myself and my and life and the universe and everything? What are the decisions and conclusions I've made about how I'm supposed to act in this world? How am I supposed to be as a person, as a man or a woman? Uh, how am I supposed to think about things? And unless you ask, if, you, if you're asking what's wrong with me, you're, pre you're presupposing that there is something wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you start from that place, your brain is going to give you all the explanations yeah. of what's wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to find out what's wrong with you. You want to find out what's happened to you and how you've interpreted those things, the meanings you put on those things. So then you can redefine it yeah. and reframe it into ideas and beliefs that serve you now uh, as opposed to the beliefs you formed when you were three or four or five years, six years old yeah. or 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 years old. Yeah. Right. Because growth is, you know, our life is a, is a continuous process of growth and development and learning. But if we don't know how to let go of what we've already learned, we don't have space to learn new yeah. things. Yeah. And so it's important to have that process to learn how to, first of all, inquire. Yeah. The questions to ask. Most people ask themselves questions, but they're disempowering questions. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why am I such a piece of crap yeah you know why is my life why does my life suck yeah all those questions those dis disempower you because they just get you in the loop of explaining to yourself why everything is so terrible yeah yeah so the the mind is a powerful thing if you ask it a question what's wrong with me it will give you an answer it'll so, explain to you what's wrong with you and yeah. then you start then you start acting as if that were true yeah and then you create more of what's wrong with you yes okay it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah <laughs> okay Thanks for listening to our podcast. That was incredible. Um, but really, it's like inspired a lot of curiosity inside of me because I think the people who think like you have maybe have been through something. Like, how, do you, how did you get to a place to, like, think like that? You know, usually, like, you go through, like, a hard thing, like, and you find compassion 
through that experience, how did you get here? You seem like well, a life sucks for big, everybody, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all go through. Life is hard for everybody. Yeah. So I've just been living life. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of wonderful teachers and inspiring mentors and gurus along the way. Yeah. About fifty years ago, I met a man named Jonathan Chamberlain. Okay. He was a professor of psychology at BYU, and he wrote a book called "How to Eliminate Self-Defeating Behaviors." Okay. And I, uh, he he was teaching at Education Week one week. Okay. We were living in Eugene, Oregon. We came down. I listened to him teach. I got his workbook, went back home, used the workbook, seven steps to his program. Dang, it worked. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I said, this is really cool. Yeah. And then I then I did an experiential training, which in was called Life Spring Trainings. I don't know if you've heard of those. Mm-mm. They're kind of like the Earhart sensitive, sensitivity trainings. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was this big movement for experiential personal development trainings. Okay. And so I did those and that kind of expanded my mind and my heart. And so then I came we decided to move from Oregon to Provo and I hooked up with Jonathan. I said, "Hey, will you teach me how to teach this?" And so yeah. then I started mm. teaching his program in the community education programs okay. like in Granite School District and and here in Orem and and yeah. stuff like that. And then life got messy and I kind of got off that track, but it was always still in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so then I was just trying to make a living and doing different things, and I, I got into real estate, and I uh, I worked at BYU for 10 years uh, in the food service department, but I was always still thinking about the how to eliminate self-defeating behaviors yeah. program because uh, it had worked so well for me. But in meanwhile, I was going through a divorce. Uh, my life was, I was be- beginning to die because I was treating myself so badly. I was so, so full of self-hatred and loathing and anguish from all of my traumas that I hadn't processed. Uh, And so then, uh, short story, or long story short, a friend invited uh, my wife and I to come to uh, a group and meditate Mm -hmm. with her. And so we meditated with a group of friends for every Sunday night for about two years. And that was when I was introduced to yoga. And uh, I, I read a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. Okay. Written by Paramahansa Yogananda, who was one of the earliest swamis to bring uh, the principles and teachings and practices of yoga from India to the West. Yeah. He and okay. another one, Swami Vivekananda, you may have heard of those names. Yeah. And it, anyway, so I started studying that and I got really involved in that and really uh, impressed with that. And then I found a, a man who, so Yogananda es- established an organization, it's called the Self-Realization Fellowship. Okay. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. I want to join this. Yeah. And so I started studying their materials, and then I thought I'd join. But then they said, in order to join, you have to renounce any other affiliations. So I didn't want to leave my church mm-hmm. to join that. So I was kind of a, kind of um, hung out. Yeah. Didn't know what to do. And then uh, through this meditation group, we uh, met a fellow whose name is Phil Mclemore. So Yogananda initiated many people. Mm-hmm into his program, into his teachings. It was called Kriya Yoga. Okay. One of the men he initiated was Roy Eugene Davis. Okay. Roy Eugene da- and then Roy Eugene Davis sort of separated from the Self-Realization Fellowship and began doing his own teaching. But he, he was still sort of authorized minister of Yogananda's okay. Kriya Yoga. 
So he started a, an organization called the Center for Spiritual Awareness. Okay. And he has he had uh, until he passed away just recently. He had there's a they have a retreat in Georgia. Okay. So Roy initiated Phil McLemore, mm -hmm. who became my guru and initiated me. So I mm -hmm. found out that I didn't have to to renounce my religion or yeah. my church or any, my affiliations to join the Kriya Yoga tradition. Okay. So I said, okay, let's do that. Yeah. So I did that. And so then, uh, then Phil was my guru, and uh, so I studied a lot of the teachings of Roy Eugene Davis. I thought, you know what? Meditation plus eliminating your self-defeating behaviors would be a real powerful combination. Yeah. So, so Jonathan had this cognitive behavioral therapy program yeah. to eliminate self-defeating behaviors. Yeah. And I thought, boy, if I could combine that with meditation, the principles I'm learning from yoga, yeah. and put it into one thing, that's where the yoga meets the road. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how it all developed. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think I just didn't realize your road uh, or your path with yoga. Like, hmm. that's... Oh, through the initiation with, with Roy and with... with yeah, I, mean, I just didn't know you had the... And Yogananda. Yeah, the ability yeah. to work I'm a direct, direct... I mean, I'm, my, my lineage of gurus in includes Yogananda. That's wild. That <laughs> is, like, is, awesome. I'm kind of fangirling in a way. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, it's, that's it's, really cool. It, it is. It's really cool. So you had a deep yoga practice uh, prior to finding any of this. Well, they were all, they were, I was still doing the self, to eliminate self-defeating behaviors, yeah. but I wasn't doing it very well. And I was, my, my life was falling apart. My wife was ready to divorce me. Uh, she told me that, and mm -hmm. she'd seen some attorneys. My kids were, I had alienated all my children. Mm -hmm. My health was in really bad shape. My finances were in bad shape. Uh, my, my career was in shambles. I was a mess. My life mm -hmm. was, I was a train wreck. Yeah. And uh, then that's when I discovered Yogananda. That's when I discovered yoga and began putting these pieces together. Um, and then since then, I've had some other teachers and gurus who've kind of helped me along on the path, giving me deeper insights and, and more pieces that I could pull together. Yeah. And so basically, I've taken a lot of different pieces from a lot of different places and pulled them together into this one course, which I call a systematic process yeah. of self-inquiry that incorporates study, self-inquiry, and meditation. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a combination of mindfulness exercises, which are cognitive, yeah. and then mystical practices, which are what you might call spiritual, but that's a loaded word. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's just the, the reality that's beyond our cognitive mind. Yeah. And mystical is not, doesn't mean magical. It's not Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mystical, the word mystical comes from the Greek word mysterion, which means that which is not yet known. It's just something we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. And so mystical practices are practices that that have been developed over thousands of years that people know that we, from our, our experience, we know they work. We just can't explain how they work yeah. or why they work. We can explain why mindfulness exercises work because we understand them. They're logical. They're left brain. Yeah. Mystical practices are right brain and energetic yeah. about the energy systems in our body and so on and so forth and the larger energy system of the universe. Yeah. And so I find that combining mindfulness exercises with mystical practices is very powerful. Yeah. To make the changes that people want to make in their lives to begin 
my little mantra is peace, health, and prosperity in all aspects of my life. Yeah. And that's what I'm reaching for. Yeah. Okay, well, I can think of, like, <clears throat> mindfulness practices, but, like, what what would be, like, a mystical or, yeah. Like meditation what, itself is a mystical practice. Okay. <clears throat> and then there are, there are different forms of meditation. We, there are three aspects of our being. Okay. That's the way I see it. Okay. So we have mind, spirit, and body. Yes. Okay. And when I say mind, I mean a larger thing than just intellect. Okay. Our intellect is what most people think of when they use the word mind. Mm-hmm. But that's a very small portion. So mind, from in my mind, is, is our overall consciousness. Okay. Which is a larger concept, a larger term. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we have our mind, which kind of governs everything. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of sets up our energetic aspect of our being, which we would people call our spirit. Yeah. And then our spirit is the energetic portion of our being that sustains or animates our physical body. Yeah. Okay. And so to enjoy peace, health, and prosperity, you have to have those three aspects of your being in harmony yeah. or integrated. Yes. And that's what the word yoga means, actually. The word yoga comes is derived from a Sanskrit word, yuj, which means to yoke. Okay. To integrate. Yeah. Okay. To bring together. And so yoga as a spiritual practice means bringing the three aspects of your being, being into harmony, into union, into oneness. Okay. Which then allows you to become at one with the larger reality yeah. of the larger universe. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So mystical practices are things like sitting in silence. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness exercises are asking questions. Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> mystical practices are visualizing or seeing the flow of energy throughout your body. And so I do, I do three forms of mystical practices that are called Kriya Pranayama. Kriya means Kriyas. All these words sound really cool, yeah? <laughs> yeah. They're Sanskrit <laughs> yeah. words. They sound like, oh, yeah. magic. Ooh, yeah. it's Harry Potter stuff. <laughs> but Kriya just means action, activity, or specific actions, specific things you do to okay. create a specific result. Okay. And Pranayama just means uh, controlled breathing. Okay. Okay. So Kriya Pranayama is a specific set of systematic uh, types of controlled breathing you do to create specific results in the in yourself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that would be like in Kundalini Yoga when you're doing like a hyperventilation breath to like to release the energy, get your serotonin or whatever flowing. Like that's is that what you're meaning? Yes. Okay. Yes and more. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yes So and. kundalini, again, is no, another one of those words that there's a lot of mystery surrounding who knows what kundalini means. Right. Yeah. All it means is uh, potential or latent. Yeah. The, the literal translation of the word kundalini means coiled serpent. Okay. So kundalini, the way the yogis understood kundalini energy is it's not a different form of energy. Some people think, oh, it's different than... Mm-hmm. There's only one form of energy. That's the universal energy that is in us and through us and around us and in and through everything. Yeah. Okay. And so Kundalini just describes where that particular energy is, is, is resting. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. as we draw, as, as the energy, the universal energy flows into our body, we don't use all of it because we're not conscious enough. We're not aware enough to understand how to use it. And so the portion we don't use just kind of pools or rests at the base of our spine, mm-hmm. like a coiled serpent. Yeah. And so as, as our 
as our awareness is directed outward, so most of us all the time are looking outward in the, into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we got to drive, we got to work, we got to talk, we got to look at our phone. We're always looking outward. Mm-hmm. And so then that energy just kind of sits there and doesn't do much. Yeah. But when we get still and, si- and quiet, when we quiet our body, sit physically still, mm-hmm. and then we calm our mind by focusing on our breath, then we go inward, and then we can begin to manipulate or direct the flow of that energy yeah. with our mind. Yeah. One of the Kriya Pranayamas that I use is to uh, move the Kundalini energy from the base chakra, direct it into the base chakra. You understand chakras, there are mm-hmm. the seven primary mm-hmm. energy centers yeah. that are located along our spine. Yeah. So you direct the, the energy into the base chakra, and okay. then on the in-breath you draw it up the spine to the third eye, the sixth chakra, mm-hmm. let it rest there for a moment, a moment, and then as you exhale, you release the energy and it flows back down yeah. to the base. Yeah. In, energy flows up, breathe out, the energy flows down. And breathe in, the energy flows up. You breathe out, the energy flows down. Yeah. And the purpose of that is because <clears throat> the energy system of our spirit is comprised of these chakras. Mm-hmm. And the function of the chakras is to take this universal energy mm-hmm. and to tr- and transform it into frequencies that our bodies can use. Okay. Because our body is dense and low vibrational frequency material. Yeah. And it can't actually directly access the universal energy. Just think of it in terms of radio frequencies. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can hear some radio frequencies with our ears, but some are so high we can't hear them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's the same way with this flow of energy. Some frequencies are so high that our body can't respond to them. Yeah. So the chakras transform that high frequency energy into frequencies that our bodies can use. Okay. And then it distributes that energy throughout our bodies through a system of channels that are called nadis. Okay. So you've got ch- chakras and you've got nadis. Okay. And those are the, those. it's kind of like the circulatory system for your body with blood and lymph system like that. Yeah. It's the circulatory system of energy for your spirit, for, okay. your, for your energetic body. Okay. okay. All right. So as we go through life, uh, we tend to get blood clots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get crap in our blood yeah. stream, okay? And yeah. so sometimes we have to have procedures to get those clots opened up. Yeah. Well, we get clots in our energetic system, in our nadis as well. Yeah. From our experiences, our traumatic experiences, our false beliefs, our thinking errors and limiting beliefs. Yeah. So they create blockages in our energy system, which then creates discomfort or dis-ease. Yeah. And so as we practice this Kriya Pranayama, it opens and cleanses and purifies those nadis so the energy flows more smoothly, freely, and we're restored to wholeness, to health, and we experience peace and health and prosperity. Okay. It's kind of, it's kind of like the, mis- it's, it's similar to acupuncture. Yeah. That's the idea of acupuncture. Okay. So, so in, in the Chinese system, they call them meridians, mm-hmm. and the idea is that if your meridian gets blocked, then you take a needle and you poke it into that particular gateway of that meridian yeah. and you energize it either with a sound or a, a light or a heat or something like that mm-hmm. that opens that channel then the yeah. meridi- then the energy flows smoothly and you're restored to health okay. and so it's the same thing so this is something you can do yourself you don't need a practitioner to do it for you yeah you can practice this breath technique yeah. and there are, there are different variations of this kriya pranayama that i use yeah so that's an example of a mystical that was a long answer to your short question <laughs>
I loved it. Okay. Give me all the long answers because <laughs> I, I feel like there, like you said, there's a lot of this stuff that maybe is incorporated in our pop culture. You know, like everyone loves yoga yeah. pants. Everyone yeah, loves right. to like do downward dog. But <laughs> yeah. like there's so much more to that. And so any, I mean, if we can use our platform to help share knowledge, like, oh my gosh, yeah. take that liberty. Yes. Give us the long answer. Right. I love it. Okay. What are common things you see that like give us energetic blood clots? Why is breathwork, like, that is so powerful, and we just automatically breathe every single day. Right. But if we were a little bit more intentional about it, like... That's right. That's, a, that's the idea, is to be intentional about your breath. Yeah. You asked a really uh, an interesting question about what are the clots? What are the yeah. blockages? Yeah. Because that's really what the whole process is about, is removing the obstacles. Yeah. Patanjali, who wrote the book, uh, Kri- the, the Yoga Sutras... 2,500 years ago, mm-hmm. he's kind of considered to be the Param Guru of, of yoga practice. It's kind of like the Bible of yeah. yoga practice. Yeah. And uh, so he said, Kriya Yoga is practice to remove all mental and physical obstacles. Yeah. And so that's really what this whole program, that's what the yoga meet the road, that's what the mindfulness exercises and mystical practices are designed to do, is to remove our mental and physical obstacles. Yeah. Okay. So the mental obstacles, the way I see them, that are pretty consistent across the board with everybody that I teach or coach, Mm -hmm. are thinking errors, limiting beliefs, Mm -hmm. and traumatic memories. Yeah. So thinking errors are, they're logical fallacies. Okay. So like an example of a thinking error. Well, the popular ones in our society are like black and white thinking. Okay. Uh, okay. Where it's, there's no middle ground. There's no other possibility. It's either this way or that way. Yeah. And that's why we get in our, that's what we, in our relationships, yeah. we have, the, that's what we're struggling oh. with is because we have black and white thinking. Yeah. I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah. Okay. Or, or you made me. <clears throat> You made do me do this. Yeah. Okay. See. Just, or yeah. Stephen always said, I say Justin made me do this, and he goes, "Okay, so say that sentence responsibly." <sighs> I feel sad when Justin did this. Yeah. <laughs> so because yeah. we all choose our emotions. Yeah. 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 So thinking. Wait, wait, hold on. Do we? Absolutely. We choose our emotions. Absolutely. Blow our mind, Stephen. <laughs> Okay. Let's, let's come back to that okay, one. Okay, okay. We'll come back. Okay. We'll talk more about thinking okay. errors. So another one is an idea called heaven's reward. Okay. If I work hard enough, then eventually I should get the reward. Yeah. This will pay off. Yeah. Yeah, and, okay. And, and it's it's in a lot, a lot of uh, t- thinking for uh, religious people because they think, well, okay, I'm going to suffer through this life, and then I'll get to heaven, and everything will be great. Yeah. Yeah. Or else I'll, I'll, I'll suck it up and power through school, and then I'll get a good job and be happy. Yeah. Uh, or we'll suffer oh, through the... Oh, okay. I see. I see where you're going with this. Like, so this yeah. is the, um, if I just do this, then I'll be happy. If I just do that, then I'll yeah. be happy. This yeah. is like, when I attain something, then yeah, I will I'll find happy. happiness. Okay, yeah. okay, all I right. I call that one as, as soon as. Yes. As yes. soon as I do this, then I can be happy. Yes, mm-hmm. okay, and, okay. And Sean Aker has a really wonderful TED Talk that I would encourage everybody to watch. It's called The Happiness Advantage. Okay. And he explains why that, what the fallacy of that is. Okay. But it's, it's so ingrained in our society. That's the way we're trained. Yeah. That's where we're trained. We go to school. Okay, if you get good grades, then you can get a good job. Then if you get a good job, you can make a lot of money. If you make a lot of money, then you can attract a, 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 you know, a cool mate. Yeah. And then you can buy a nice house. And then you can be happy. Yeah. 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 And he says that's backward and broken. Yeah. Because... If we, if we identify 
if we link our happiness to achieving the goal, then as soon as we achieve a goal, the way our brain is constructed, it sets another goal. Mm -hmm. So our happiness is always pushed out mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. He calls it, we, we put our happiness, the way he says it, we put our happiness beyond, beyond, beyond the cognitive horizon. Yeah. So we see the goal, we're going to get there. And so we're really goal-driven and goal-oriented in our society, mm -hmm. and we can't figure out why life sucks. <laughs> we can't figure out why we're so frustrated <laughs> yeah. and why we're so angry and why we're so, you know, well, the mess we're in right now. Depressed and Depressed anxious. Depressed and, and anxious. And why, why, yeah, why so many people, why, why the, after, after nearly 100 years of psychotherapy, developing psychotherapy, and all the psychotropic drugs, anxiety and depression rates are going are increasing mm -hmm. in adults and teenagers mm -hmm. how can that be well because we've got this primary thinking error yeah <laughs> that is driving all of our thinking and behaving and emotion yeah mm -hmm. okay so that's a, that's an example of thinking error okay so then and and there are a lot of them i've got a page that has a list of 18 uh psychologists call them cognitive distortions okay and so black and white thinking, uh, shoulds, shoulds is a huge one. Yeah, like I oh. should have. Obligations and should, I should do this, yeah. should do that, should do that. Stop shooting on yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so shoulds, uh, thinking errors, effort justification, that's another huge one in our society. Okay. Where we have this notion that the value something has is related to how hard we had to work to get it. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Which, which negates the things that really matter in our life. Yeah. Because how hard can you work for the love of a child? <laughs> See, the yeah. love of a child is free. It's a free yeah. gift. Yeah. But if you if you if you believe that you have to work hard to to earn something, then you won't really accept what's freely given to you. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. 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 And if you're a oh believer, if you're a believer in God, it makes it hard to accept the grace of God. Yeah. Because the grace of God is a free gift. Yeah. The love of God, the love of family, the love of yeah. A sunset. Yeah. We can't really enjoy these things because yeah. we have to feel like we have to earn them. Yeah. Oh wow! And I can see how that one is like super linked to mm -hmm. a limiting belief of like I'm not good enough. Um, and then it goes right into that I'm yeah. not good enough. I can't be, do, or have what I want because yeah. I'm not good enough, I'm not yeah. smart enough, I'm not strong enough. There's a, a variety of them, but they yeah. all come down to I'm not good enough. Yeah. And, and Tony Robbins teaches that's the number one limiting belief in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I accept that. I believe that's absolutely true. Yeah. We've got a lot of reasons why we're not good enough. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people are telling us why we're not good enough. <clears throat> Whenever I would approach Steven with like an issue or something that I felt like was a roadblock, no matter what it was, no matter how extreme I felt my situation <laughs> was or how small or trivial, uh, he always said, what do you want and why do you think you can't have it? And it always blew my mind. Those are, the, those are, those are empowering questions. Very empowering As opposed questions. to the disempowering. Yeah. Oh, so. Because you're identifying what, the What's wrong with me versus what do I want? Right. What do I want in life? Yeah, I think that's the most important question in life. Yeah. Because Whoa. that's coming from a completely different energy, like yeah. a completely mm -hmm. different place. 
And then when you follow it with why do I think I can't have it, you start to examine your real feelings. Like, like Well, you the, start to examine your thinking errors mm. and your limiting beliefs. Yes. Because yeah. those are the reasons you think you can't have it. Yeah. And then that's where most people stop and, and then they feel frustrated. Yeah. But there's one more question. There's one there? more question and Shall it we? says, what do I want and why do I think I can't have it? And what can I do to reframe what can I do differently? What can I do differently? Yeah. What, can I, what differently? can I do differently? Because if you just keep pounding ahead, doing the same thing yeah. you've been doing, what are you going to get? You're going to get the same, same results you've been yes. getting. Yeah. And so most people will try, oh, I'll try this, try two or three different things. And then they say, I give up. I tried everything. Yeah. Oh, you tried three things. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Big deal. Yeah. Yeah, there's a million different ways to... The universe is infinite. Yeah. There's infinite possibilities. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just referred to the story of Thomas Edison and how many experiments he did mm -hmm. to create the electric light. Yeah. And depending on the, the source you read, it's between three and 10,000 experiments. <laughs> yeah. That's if he just stopped after five, five or a hundred or five hundred yeah. or a thousand, we'd still be, you know, in the dark. Or somebody yeah. else would have invented it. Yeah. But, you know, right. he just said no. And when he was asked, how did it feel to fail 10,000 times? He said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just learned 10,000 ways not to do it. Yeah. And then I eventually figured all of those things gave me the information I needed to find the one that worked. Yeah. And mm. so that's why we keep going. And yes. so that's why it's important to establish a daily practice. Yeah. So it's not something that you just do occasionally on weekends or when you feel like it. Or but, when you're in the weeds. Or when you're... Or when, you know, like when you're in the shit and all of a sudden yeah. you're like, I'm just going to... Yeah. Don't wait till you're in the shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Start thinking before you get there so that you can get out, out of it more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And so... So then it becomes, and so that's why I call it a compassionate self-inquiry, because you're yeah. not asking what's wrong, you're asking what do you want. Yeah. And, okay, so what's in the way? What are the obstacles? Yeah. And then, well, what could you do differently? Yeah. Get creative. Find yeah. creative solutions to your problems. Yeah. And so it's, it's, a, it's a simple process, and it's not complicated. We complicate it because we, we have this effort justification mm -hmm. belief or thinking here that if it's if it's simple it can't be really it can't be really useful right yeah. Yeah. we have to make it hard yeah <laughs> we got to struggle we yeah. got to suffer for yeah. our for yeah. our sins <laughs> and we got to struggle and suffer for our rewards yeah. because if we don't struggle and suffer for them then they don't mean anything yeah what yeah. do we want enlightenment when do we want it now now that's right <laughs> that's one of steven's graphics that's stuck with me forever yeah so it is simple, and the simplicity of it is what makes it difficult for people to do because we've been trained to think it has to be hard and complicated. Yeah. Well, we've been trained that it has to be hard and complicated. We've also been trained that, well, if we just purchase this one item, then we can <laughs> skip that step and get happy. That's right. All we need is just, I just need, a, I just need the right pill. Yeah. I just need the right concealer. <laughs> yeah. I just need the right pair of shoes. Like, yeah, yeah like yeah. we have these, we have these messages coming at us all the time that are yeah. telling us you, like you can have it much more simple for $9.99 today. It can be yours when really it's that 
looking into yourself instead of looking out for mm-hmm. the answers. And that's 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 the one of the primary limiting beliefs and thinking errors of the world is that the answers can be found outside yourself. Yeah. All you need to understand is within your own soul. Yeah. And when you begin to engage in this process of of study and self-inquiry and then using meditation as a tool to facilitate that self-inquiry then you begin to find the answers that really matter yeah and then when you find the answers that really matter then you can buy the shoes and enjoy the shoes yeah but if you buy the shoes without finding what you really want then the shoes are just one more thing to uh, fill up your closet yeah and and add more shame because you're like because well, this didn't make me must, happy. Yeah, something must be really wrong with Some, me if the why, shoes didn't work. What? Yeah, that's right. What is what is wrong with me? I have all this stuff, and I'm still miserable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Jim Carrey has really interesting things to say about that. He did a, a documentary on Netflix. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And he talked about how after he had kind of hit the peak of his fame, and he was uh, he was he had everything mm-hmm. that he wanted, mm-hmm. that he thought he wanted, that he said he wanted. He had all the money. He had all the sex. He had all the fame mm-hmm. and celebrity and adulation anybody could ever want. And he says that I was so unhappy, and I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. And then he started his process. Yeah. And he's come through some interesting. Yeah. Things to some interesting conclusions about it. Yeah. But that's what we see in the world. We see people. Uh, sacrificing their health, their relationships, to get more money so they can get more stuff, and then the stuff just doesn't really make them happy. Mm-mm. And they can't understand why. And so we see this huge dysfunction in our society. Yeah. Wow. So thinking errors, limiting beliefs. And then the traumatic memories are are usually, those are the, those are the, the trauma experiences we... The, the shameful, painful experiences we have as we go through life. Yeah. And we all have them. Yeah. And some have deeper traumas than others. Some people, their lives are threatened. Uh, women are raped. Children are abused. Um, there's disease and pestilence. There, there are uh, natural disasters that we survive, car wrecks, all kinds of things. And so it, range, it, it ranges the gamut. It, goes, it runs the whole gamut. Yeah. From just being embarrassed in school because you forgot to zip your pants up. Yeah. To being raped as a child. Yeah. And, but all of those are traumatic experiences or, that we have. And if we, if we hold that pain and that trauma in our body and don't process, don't know how to release that, mm-hmm. then it stays with us. Yeah. And because it's a function of our limbic system, which yeah. is about self-preservation. Yeah. Okay. So it stays with us. And then, so 30 years of all these small little shames and insults and embarrassments and regrets and resentments, we do stuff to other people that we're ashamed of, that yeah. we're unhappy about. Yeah. And so 30 years of, of all those small things, that stacks up. Yeah. And that can be just as debilitating to a person as being abused as a child yeah. or being um, abandoned by a father, by a parent, or being, or being a soldier in Afghanistan and watching your buddies get blown up all around you yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Or like Shelby's husband out on the fire line, you know, he sees a lot of stuff like that. And so, uh, so we have these traumas because this is a very harsh world that we live in. Yeah. It's and it can be very brutal. Yeah. And if we don't understand 
how that affects us. Yeah. And we're only now just beginning to understand those things. Yeah. Freud opened the door to our understanding. And over the past 100 years, 150 years or so, we've gotten more and more understanding with it now. And now people are re really beginning to understand how trauma affects our brain yeah. physiologically and and how then that f affects how we act in the li in our lives. Yeah. And then psychologically the way trauma affects us is because when we have a traumatic experience then it's not the experience that's the problem but it's the beliefs that we form about ourselves and about everything else. Uh-huh. In response yeah. to the trauma. Yes. So we have a trauma when we're a young child when we are powerless. Yeah. So then we form a belief I'm a powerless victim and then we act as if we're a powerless victim throughout our lives and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. The, the the healing is not in in remembering the trauma. Mm -hmm. The healing is understanding the beliefs and the thinking errors you created in response to the trauma and then reframing those. Yeah. What is your experience like sharing this to women versus sharing this with men? Do you notice like gendered limiting beliefs or I mean, you're saying all this stuff, and I'm just, like, eating it up. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes, this is true. I, yes, yeah. I agree. Like, how do you help somebody with, like, that? the, I don't know if this would be a thinking error or limiting self-belief of, like, oh, it'd be a thinking error. Like, oh, you just got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, or you just got to keep going, or you just, just got to be, if you, you just got to power through this. That's right. Like, like, how, like, do you come across people like that, or is that different in the community <laughs> you're in? Or like, how do you approach somebody, like, how do you soften, you know, that, like, I, you can't see my face, but like that <laughs> that that energy. Do you like? Do you get that a lot? Yeah, and and the the truth is that to change you got to wanna. Yeah. And so, um, if if a if a man or a woman is not in a place where they're ready to change, mm -hmm. and and, uh, and usually that's usually a person gets ready to change when they hit bottom. Yeah. Or they call it hitting bottom. That's what addicts call it. Yeah. And um, that means it just gets so painful that I, I've either got to die or figure something else out. Yeah. Because I can't stand the way things are now. Yeah. And then when a person gets to that point, then they are then they're willing to listen mm -hmm. to maybe some new ideas. Yeah. And so that's what I look for in the people that I talk to is do they wanna? Yeah. And if they wanna, then I'll I'll talk to them. I'll work with them. If yeah. they don't, then I'll say, come see me when you're. Yeah. Ready to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you want to, when, when you've been through it and, and you say, okay, now I need something better. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting that you, the way you framed it, cause the, the question was, cause are there gender differences? And there yeah. are. Because women are really more open to this kind of uh, thinking and work mm -hmm. than men are because of the way men are trained in our society and the expectations yeah. our society puts on men. Yeah. We're supposed to be unfeeling. Yeah. That's the way men are supposed to be. We're supposed to be strong and capable mm -hmm. and uh, not have emotions and feelings and because uh, those are sissy. You know, so you <laughs> yeah. can't have these softer yeah. kinds of things uh, if you're going to be a manly man. Yeah. And so it's tougher for men to do this kind of work yeah. because of those expectations. Yeah. But the men who are open to it, who will listen, we're really all the same, men, mm -hmm. women, mm -hmm. uh, adults, children. We're all the same inside. Yeah. And when you can get past the facade to the inside, then it works the same for everybody. Yeah. The principles are universal. 
the uh, and, and it it's in harmony with universal law, and so that's why it all works. Yeah, that idea of like you know the man on his white horse and he's you know strong and capable. And, John Wayne. Yeah. So the, Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Die hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that would be just like a societal thinking error. I believe so. Yes. Okay. All right. Although there is a distinction between the masculine and the feminine energies. Mm -hmm. Those are universal principles that don't have anything to do with gender. Mm -hmm. Men tend to be, have more affinity for the masculine energy and women have, tend to have more affinity to the feminine energy, Mm -hmm. but that's not always the case. Yeah. And it just, if you have more affinity toward, for the feminine energy, that doesn't make you girly. It's just a different expression of the same energy. Yeah. The Chinese express it as the yin and the yang. Yeah. Uh, the Hindus express it as Sri Bhagavate, Sri Bhagavati, the divine, the, the father of creation and the divine mother. Yeah. And the father of creation in the Hindu system, it's interesting that they see the father as uncha- unchangeable and permanent, the foundation. Mm-hmm. And the feminine energy, the mother, the divine mother, is the creative power. Which yeah. is not the way we see it in our society. We see yeah. the, the the mother as being the nest keeper, yeah. and the man goes out and does the creating and brings yeah. it. Yeah, okay. yeah. But 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 the uh, the way the Hindus see it, or the way the yogis see it, is that the father creates the foundation, the stable platform from which then the feminine energy creates the new the new stuff. Yeah. I love that because it is, I mean, I, I notice this a lot. Like, we definitely have a demographic, right? Like, we, the way we tailor our message, like, it lands with women between the ages of 18 and 55. But I do believe, like, this message is for everybody, and I'm hoping yeah. that there are other people who have a different demographic who can share that. And it sounds like, I mean, obviously, like you. Yeah, and in fact, I came from a meeting uh, just before this, uh, some women who've started a, a program teaching similar concepts and things for women, and they want to expand it now to uh, uh, have a, a program for men. Yeah. And so they're asking me to come in and work with them and see yeah, if we can cool. develop that. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Because, because, yeah, in our society we have different language. The genders have different yeah. languages, and we yeah. have different signals that we send. Yeah. And But we have the same needs. Yes. Mm. And, and if we can get past the facade of, you know, the Terminator, man as Terminator, mm-hmm then we can get to the heart of a man and yeah and and they can find the same healing that yeah. women are looking for yeah my i guess my understanding or my hope is that like more like men who are embracing and accepting of this and who are open to this you know kind of stand up and help other cuz like i mean they i feel will. like I could I can tell men all day long like you need to do this and they're like you need to go make dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, when a when a woman tells a man he needs to do something, he's just hearing his mother telling him yeah. he's a bad boy. Yeah. And he's going to he's going to defend he's going to get defensive. Yeah. Him. Yeah, you but know? if he sees another man who has a strong energy and mm-hmm. who is tender and loving, like that but can still be manly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if he can find a woman who invites him to join her yeah. in this great, this beautiful creative dance, yeah, that's even more powerful. Because that's what men are looking for. Yeah. We're looking for women who will invite us to join with them yeah. instead of shaming us and guilting us for being uh, naughty little boys. Yeah. Like we all feel we are. Can you give us an example? <laughs> uh, 
to the women? Like, what would be a great way to, like, invite your loved one, your partner, your spouse Mm. into this dance without using shaming or fear or, like, pointing your finger at him? Mm -hmm. The only place that can come from is self-confidence. So the woman has to do the work on herself first. Yeah. So that she's totally confident within herself. So she's no longer emotionally codependent yeah. on the man. Mm-hmm. So as a woman becomes independent, then, so that can be very threatening for us because we've, we've been trained that codependency is sort of like the glue that holds our families together yeah. and our society together. Yeah. And so when we, when we begin to grow and become more independent, that can be very threatening Yeah. because we're not used to that. Yeah. But it's really the only place that we can be truly adult yeah as if we're emotionally independent yeah. and psychologically independent yeah so a woman who can do that and then still love her husband and have com- or partner and be compassionate with that person hmm. then that's like oh man that's honey yeah <laughs> that's manna yeah it's like, yeah I'll, I'll do whatever you want yeah okay i'll come right along yeah. yeah so that's the first step because you can't do it from a place in other words a drowning swimmer can't save another yeah. drowning swimmer. Yeah. You can only you can only save somebody from a position of strength. Yeah. And so for a woman to yeah. be empowered. Yeah. And that and, and that's a, that's another there's, there's another thinking error in our society is our understanding of what it means to be empowered. Yeah. Because the the definition that we have in our society of what power means is we think it means to dominate mm-hmm. and control yeah. and coerce yeah. and manipulate. And that's our definition of power. And so oh. if you use that definition of power to become empowered in yourself, then you're going to be kind of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to be you're going to be really mean to people yeah. or manipulative. And 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 that's pretty much what all we see in the media and on TV and in the movies is is this Emotional manipulation, domination, control, yeah. back and forth, uh, backstabbing, um, yeah. lying, cheating, stealing. That's, we call that, and we call it entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> we got troubles in our society. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We I mean, we ABC, they used, they, uh, they, they, they promoted some, their, one of this, one of their big, big drama series, We Got drama yeah which you know which was basically about how all these people were trying to dog eat dog and manipulate each other and empire i think it was the show empire or something like that yeah people love that stuff oh we eat it up with a spoon like the um you know i'm there was this show that my my sister was really into it was called bad girls club Mm -hmm. and it was just like nasty just they get nasty people to interact yeah. in an energy. They you know put them in a home together, yeah. and then it was just like yeah. drama. Right. Yeah, and they had cameramen just. Fu- it, yeah, oh, it's gross. And Do we've we- been we've been we've been brainwashed with this material now for decades. Yeah. And now people are saying, "Gee, why do we have such a crappy society now?" Yeah, it's all coming out on social media. Yeah. And, and and we're getting all this dis- discord in yeah. our society. Yeah. Where did the civil civil where did our, all all our civil discourse go? Yeah. Well, we've been brainwashed, we've been trained and indoctrinated with this emotional manipulation tech stuff yeah. for generations now. 
since the 40s and 50s. You go back, go back to the 40s and 50s, and the TV shows were a little different than they are now. Yeah. And and so it's just been getting progressively more and more intense. Yeah. So that's what the word power means to most people in society. Yeah. yeah. But to yogis, the word power means the ability, the power to influence. Okay. Power is your ability, your personal power is your ability to uh, see distinctions between things mm-hmm. and make connections between things. And then you have the ability to have preferences and make choices. Yeah. So your personal power is your ability to choose yeah. and then choose what you're going to focus your attention on. Yeah. And then from that, you choose what you want. What do you want? <laughs> What's the obstacles? How can I, what can I do differently? And then you create what you want and then... You influence others to join you. You invite yeah. others to join you. And that's yeah. power from a yogic point of view. Yeah. The power of influence. Whoa. The power of love. Do you get overwhelmed by uh, like what's going on in our world, what happens in our communities, like the bad news things that happen on a weekly basis, um, mixed in with like your interactions, working with people who are like, trying to work through really tra- traumatic things or like how how do you balance like staying i don't know maybe optimistic that might be another thinking error or like like no no that's a, that's a really is... good question and, and 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 a lot of people in in what they call the helping professions mm-hmm. uh, they have to deal with that kind of burnout yeah because we tend to take on the energy yeah we tend to personalize the the problems of our clients yeah and so, um, yeah, I've had to learn how to separate that, and I've, and and that's how that's been one of the things that my meditation practice has been so powerful for, okay, is to help me recognize, okay, I am me, yeah, and I'm not them, yeah, and here I am. Although I still feel a lot of compassion for my clients, yeah, um, I don't, I don't stay awake all night like I used to, yeah. <clears throat> that was something you had to learn. And I did have to learn it, yeah. And yeah. it's taken years. I started off working with homeless drug addicts. When I actually got into actually doing this work, you know, yeah. and not, not just as a hobby or a sideline, I worked for uh, an NGO called uh, Golden Spike Outreach. Okay. And we offered housing assistance and supportive services to people that were coming out of the Utah County Jail. Yeah. And so they were all homeless and addicted to drugs and, and you know, just amazing, incredible problems and so that's really kind of where i got baptized yeah (laughs) my baptism of fire yeah (laughs) yeah to develop this and uh and so yeah i had to learn how to do that yeah because there's a lot of suffering in the world yeah and it can it can weigh you down if you begin to internalize it and own it for yourself yeah well people just don't really understand exactly what emotions are no and it's very simple. I can answer that question very, okay. very easily, very yeah. quickly. Yes. Um, and so I'd refer you to a book called The Biology of Belief. Okay. Uh, there are two books <clears throat> that I take my ideas from. One is called Molecules of Emotion. Okay. It was written by Candace Pert. She was, she was one of the earliest neuroscientists. Okay. Mm. Uh, she, she actually, her team sort of opened the door to what we call neuroscience now mm-hmm. because they discovered the opiate receptor, which is a receptor on our cells yeah. back in the 70s, okay? She was the leader of the team that discovered that. Okay. Okay. We call emotions feelings, right? Yes. Okay. 
And so we have basically two classes of feelings. Okay. We have physical sensations, and there's five okay. of those, right? Okay. Which are what? Physical sen- I don't. I don't know. Sight. Sight. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, hearing, senses. Okay. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. Okay. Okay. Those are our physical senses. Yeah. And those are sensations that we experience on the outside of our body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. okay. And so then emotions are sensations, just like physical sensations, only we experience them on the inside of our body. Okay. As opposed to our skin yeah. or our eyes or our ears. Yeah. Okay. So we experience these physical sensations inside our body. Yeah. And that's what we call emotion. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So then that's that's what emotions are. Is they're just physical they're just sensations you're experiencing inside your body. Okay. <laughs> like what like what is a sensation I feel inside of my body? Okay, so people there there's a conception that there are hundreds of different emotions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's very confusing oh. to people because how do I keep track of all these different emotions? Yeah. And so my philosophy, my theory is there's only two. Okay. One feels good and the other one doesn't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so we have all a lot of different names for yeah. either the good feeling emotion or the bad feeling emotion. Mm-hmm. So jealousy, rage, fear, anger, sadness, mm-hmm. pissed off, mm-hmm. um, embarrassment, shame, guilt, joy, happiness, ecstasy. They're all different names, but yeah. they're describing the same experience, the same feeling inside our body. Yeah. But just they're talking about how intense it is. So like oh, being okay. pissed off is the same feeling as being outraged, but it's just not as intense. Yeah. Mm. And it's also maybe in a different context. Yeah. So shame is an intense level of embarrassment. Yeah. Okay. But it's the same experience, just different level, different context. Yeah. So you might feel shame in church. You might feel embarrassed if you forget to button your pants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, so, so it's really not that hard. There's only two, they either feel good or they don't Mm -hmm. feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Things that feel good and things that don't. I love that. Yeah, I like simplifying things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's what emotions are, is sensations we feel on the inside of our body. Yeah. The question is, where do they come from? Yeah. What happens? What creates that sensation inside our body? And what Kansas Pert discovered was that when you, when you, when you, uh, your brain releases chemicals, mm-hmm. different um, different structures in your brain, the hypothalamus, um, and I'll get them all wrong, but anyhow, different structures in your brain trigger your endocrine system to release specific chemicals in your body. Yeah. And then those, bo- those chemicals flow throughout your body and create the sensation, and we call that an emotion. Okay. All right. Okay, so we're in a situation in our our brain's like, okay, cortisol, cortisol. And yeah. so then we feel... Uh, Angry or yeah. afraid. Yeah. Or what we, we we put the name of anger and afraid on that emotion. Yes. Okay. okay. Or that sensation that we feel inside our body. Yeah. Okay. So where does that come from? Well, then the other book is called The Biology of Belief that's written by Bruce Lipton. Okay. And he was a, a, a cellular biologist. He taught biology at University of Minnesota, I think, for bunch of years and then he he started uh, 
developed this science he ca- that they call epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And his basic premise is that it is a cell's perception of its environment that dictates its response. Okay. So the way a cell perceives its environment determines how it responds. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's not automatic. It's the perception that determines the response. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry, you kind of, you're kind of swelling my mind a little bit. Annie talked to us a little bit about like genetics, epigenetics too, okay? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. with that basis and hearing this, okay, yeah. continue. Okay, so, so it's, it's not automatic. The cell is perceiving. There's a filter between the event. external reality, the event, and your response, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and that filter is your perception. Yeah. The way you see it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So I'm sure you've probably been in situations where you were in, in, a, in a situation or an event and you had one emotional response and somebody right next to you had a completely different emotional yeah. response. Yeah. And how can you explain that? If our emotions are, are automatic responses to events, how can two people have different responses to the same event? Yeah. Mm. It's because they... They, they have per- different perceptions. Yeah. And where yeah. does that perception come from? Well, it comes from your... Your limiting... Your belief. belief system. Yeah. Right? Or your paradigm. Yeah. Your paradigm creates your perception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your perception stimulates your emotions. Yeah. And what creates your paradigm, Carissa? You're limiting... Thinking errors, <laughs> limiting beliefs, and traumatic memories. Yeah. Those are just a small part of it, but those are the ones we deal with because those are the ones that are causing you pain. Yeah. You know, the ones that are working for you, we don't worry about those. Yeah. Because they're working for you. Yeah, because yeah, they're like your motivation is working for you, honey. We don't need to work. <laughs> we don't need to work on that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so that's it. So that's what an emotion is. It's a sensation you feel inside your body. It comes from your perception of your environment. Yeah. The way you interpret it, the meaning you you give to it. Yeah. And then then you're then you have a whole library of way rules about how you're supposed to act when you feel this way yeah okay yeah so you got th- your rules your beliefs and your thinking and yeah values rules and beliefs that's another part of it okay uh <laughs> but that's the simple view that's yeah. the simple point that so that's where emotions come from yeah that's what they are that's where they come from and then the purpose of them is to give us guide guide us in our inner world so okay our physical sensations help us navigate the external world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And our emotions help us navigate our internal world. Okay. Why do we have to navigate our internal world? So what are the, what are the elements of our internal world? I don't know. Like our, our thoughts. Yeah, okay. yeah. And our thoughts are organized into a paradigm. Mm-hmm. And most of that paradigm is contained in what we call our subconscious mind. Yes. Meaning we're not consciously aware of it. Yeah, it's just... Mm-hmm. And that's where most of our rules and beliefs are about life and everything. Yeah. And if we don't know how to navigate that internal world, we can't change anything. Yeah. Because it's, uh, that part is automatic. Yeah. Your subconscious, the, the function of your subconscious mind is to automate things. Yeah. And that's where habits come from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Repetitive patterns of the same behavior. Yeah. And that's all stored in your subconscious mind, and it's all a function of your limbic system. Yeah. Which is primarily devoted to keeping your body alive. Yes. Okay. So it's all about self-defense, and it's all about, and so that's why anger and fear are such a huge part of that, okay? Yeah. It's kind of like your dog brain. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. And so then your rational self, your thinking air, your intellect is contained in your cortex, which is a very thin layer just over the top of your limbic system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, it, it has, and it, it's much slower thinking and it much slower responding. Mm-hmm. And so that's why your emotions can get control of you so easily. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so like I'll feel something and then it like it kicks in like my fight or flight. And so then now I'm just reacting versus like responding. Yes. It takes more time for my prefrontal cortex to be like, oh, he didn't mean to do that. That's right. (laughs) And then we come back and we feel all stupid and ashamed because we we said a bunch of stuff we didn't really mean. Yeah. Yeah. But we were just being defensive in the moment. Yeah. And that's automatic. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the whole process. That's why we have to navigate the internal world. Yeah. Is we have to go through that and find those things that have been, you might call them programmed or conditioned yeah. into our limbic system, into our subconscious mind. Okay. So there. So that... because because in a in a life and death situation, you don't have time to think it through. Mm-mm. You got to react. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the the problem is our our subconscious mind can't tell the difference between a social situation where you just might get embarrassed, yeah. and a life or death situation. And so you have the same physiological response to it, and it feels like your your life is being threatened. Yeah. And so then you respond that way. Yeah. And then you lash out. Yeah. And then you feel embarrassed. Yeah. When you when you when you step back and think about it. Yeah. So so neurologists have, have kind of defined these as we have our fast thinking brain, which is automatic, uh, conditioned, uh, instinctive. Yeah. And mostly defensive okay and then we have our slow thinking brain which is our cognitive brain our intellect our rational brain where we think things through and solve things solve problems in an adult sort of manner yeah okay yeah and if you don't and emotions are the bridge between those two brains okay okay yeah yeah yeah. So you can use your intellect to decipher your emotions, which will tell you what's happening, going on in your in your limbic system, yeah. in your subconscious mind. Yes. Then you can change them. Yeah. Okay, so we need to be able to navigate our internal world if we want to be intentional in our outer world. That's right. Because otherwise we'll just keep repeating the same automated patterns. Okay. Yeah. All right. we, we don't really have a choice about that. Yeah. Because... Uh, it's automatic. Yeah. And it's 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 our it's really our survival system, self defense. Yeah. And it it's it's automated, which is really a blessing to us because we don't have time to think everything through. Yeah. That we want to do. Yeah. If we're driving a car, you don't have time to use your rational mind. You've yeah. Got, it's got to be automated. Yeah. Slam on those brakes. Slam on the brakes. Turn left. You know whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And so so we have to have this. This, this function of automating our behavior. Yeah. But the problem is that everything gets automated. <laughs> it's so good at it. It's like, okay, well, it's automatic that too, automatic That's that right. too. Whatever, whatever gets in there gets automated. Yeah. And see, before we're six years old, we don't have a cognitive mind. Okay. Our prefrontal cortex doesn't really begin to fully start to develop until about six years old. Yeah. That's and why it's hard for young kids to share. They can't yes. understand the concept of sharing or... They have no brains. What other people... <laughs> okay. They, yes. can't, they can't make those yeah. rational yeah. understandings. 
Yes. And so our prefrontal cortex starts developing at age six. It doesn't finish developing until around age 25, 26, 27. Okay. And that's why teenagers are such, so it's, have such a challenge, because <laughs> they're all hormones and no brains. <laughs> Thank you. And life gets really complicated. Yeah. It's re- yeah. all hormones and no brains. That's right. Yeah, okay. All right. And so... And their whole entire existence is like in such a social setting. Yeah, and it's and they're they're just all they're just feeling things so intensively. Yeah. And because when puberty, oh yeah, <laughs> and when when puberty kicks in, you know that just I mean jacks everything up. Yeah. You know and makes everything twice as vivid and twice as intense. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the the things that we experience in the first six years of our lives are basically what's driving our bus today as adults yeah and so the Jesuits used to say give me a child until he's six and I'll have him for life Mm. they knew what they were talking about yeah because that lays the first six years of our life lays the emotional and psychological foundation of our life yeah and then we just live out those patterns for the rest of our life and less and until we become mindful of them and then go back in and sort of update the program. Yeah. Because most of the stuff we got before we were six is not a complete program. We don't yeah. really understand the world. Yeah. And we make all these decisions about how things are based on our limited experience. And and so then... Yeah. And that's why, as an adult, we, we act like children sometimes. Yeah. Because we, we just flip right back to that yeah. space. It's that automatic, automatic. five-year-old response mm-hmm. or and, reaction. And, and we, we do that when we perceive that we're threatened. Yeah. That's where we go. It's a form of PTSD. Yeah. It, it, it makes like the responsibility. So I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Hmm. So I feel like the responsibility is just like, and I'm not perfect and I'm going to mess it up. I have sure already. I like. I already watched them. Like, oh shit, you do that because I taught you to do that, and I didn't <laughs> want to do that. Um, yeah, it makes the responsibility feel heavy. Like the mom guilt was just real, you know. Yeah. But I mean, we can be overwhelmed and feel fear by it, or we can we can learn. We can, and try we can to, ask, "What do I want? Yeah. What are the obstacles, and what can I do differently? Yeah. And then change. Yeah." But it takes the ability to go within and process those emotions. I don't like the word process emotions because that's not really what you're doing. You feel the emotions, then the emotion guides you to the thinking error and limiting belief and traumatic memory that you're working with. And then you reframe that, and then that's what processes. And then your body processes the emotions. Yeah. How can I, people find you? Reach out for me. Um, well, right now I haven't, I haven't finished setting up a website. Okay. So all I've got is an email address and a phone number. Okay. So you can text me at my phone number, which is 801-427-0683. Okay. And then you can email me at my email address, which is my full name, stephennibley at gmail.com. And that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-N-I-B-L-E-Y at gmail.com. Okay. And so if you have questions, you want to talk, you have um, an issue you want to explore, yeah, feel free. Reach out. I, I would like to know what you would go back and tell your younger self. Like if you could just... Yeah, knowing everything go, you know like now. Knowing, yeah, like knowing everything that you know now, if you could go back... 
and say something to your younger self. Mm. You're okay. Just keep on keeping on. You'll be fine. You're, you are, you are loved. You're, you're worthy. All is well. Just keep on keeping on. Don't give up. And it's worth it. It's worth it. The pain doesn't make it worth it. But the lessons you learn from the pain, if you're willing, are worth it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people... And it kind of comes from our religious training that we think that suffering is what sanctifies us, yeah. that makes us, makes it worth it. Mm -hmm. But suffering doesn't cleanse us, doesn't purify us, doesn't. Suffering can help us ask the right questions, yeah. to learn the lessons, to bring our lives in harmony with the laws of the universe. Yeah. And then that's worth it. Yeah. When we find that out. So that's what I'd tell myself: just keep on keeping on. You're worth it, and it's worth it, and you're worthy. Yeah. And that's true for everyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Shelby has such a tender heart. She does. I love her. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I'm her older cousin. So it's really funny because I always see her as young Shelby, like, Whenever I see Shelby, I like a picture like the girl with like, I just put piggy tails in your hair and we're like <laughs> dancing to music. So, yes, Shelby is very tender and very sweet and I love her so much. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Mayor is full. <laughs> We just want to share a big thank you to everybody who helped make this episode possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Drop into our DMs. You can find us on Instagram at I totally relate pod. Or you can share your feedback and insights with us at I totally relate pod at gmail.com. We totally want to get to know you. See you next time. Peace out.